Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon once again. Welcome to another hour of Cresta in the Afternoon. As I uh, mentioned in the first hour, we had a great video podcast conversation this morning. Uh, Noelle Marion, author of Awake Not Woke, is in town here in Ann Arbor, and she sat down with Al and uh, Peter Herbeck. They talked for, I think, close to 90 minutes, and we're uh, working now on producing that video. That will be ready for you in a few weeks. We've also got a great discussion with Dr. Michael McClymond that we'll be sharing with you very soon. But uh, that's why you're not hearing Al's voice right now, because had a lot to do this morning. He's got another event this evening, and so needed to just take a little uh, breather and <laughs> recharge his batteries a little bit. But we're sharing with you a uh, testimony story in this hour. Paul Williams is a Catholic lay Dominican, which is of special interest to Al, as many of you know. He's himself a lay Dominican. And Paul practiced Buddhism for several years. But as he studied the faith, he realized that elements of it, especially the idea of karma and rebirth, ultimately rendered life meaningless and hopeless. His search for a rational answer led him to re-examine Christianity and ultimately the Catholic Church. Buddhism is one of those faiths where if you've grown up in the West, if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've probably heard little bit pieces of it, but it's not something you necessarily know a whole lot about. If that's how you grew up in a Catholic home, you're probably at least somewhat familiar with the Jewish faith. You're at least somewhat familiar with different forms of Protestant Christianity, just from being out and about and reading things and hearing things in your everyday lives. Buddhism isn't one of those things that comes up as much in our everyday lives in this part of the world. And so, really interesting conversation with Paul here. Uh, he's a former professor of Indian and Tibetan philosophy at the University of Bristol in the UK, as I mentioned to the Dominican, and the author of Unexpected Way, Unconverting from Buddhism to Catholicism. So we'll be spending this whole hour with him. Oh, one more time, I wanted to give a shout-out to the Catholic Community Radio in Louisiana. Once again, if you're listening down there where it's, I think, a little bit warmer than it is here, uh, you can join in their Spring Pledge Drive, listening in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, anywhere in that area, or wherever you happen to be listening, continuing to encourage you to support your local Catholic radio station. Thanks to our friends down in Louisiana for all the great work that they're doing. Let's hear a great testimony story right now, coming up after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ravi Maria Radio News for Tuesday, March 7th. It's the Feast of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria's Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. The Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is set to reopen to visitors in December of 2024, more than five years after a fire nearly destroyed the famous church. Work has been ongoing to rebuild the cathedral exactly as it was before, including the iconic spire. Completion of the restoration and reconstruction is set for 2027. Construction on the cathedral originally began in 1163. It took more than 180 years to build. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin making an unannounced visit to Iraq today. One U.S. official said the Pentagon chief's visit aims to show that the U.S. is committed to maintaining a military presence in Iraq nearly 20 years after leaving the invasion that brought down Saddam Hussein. 
The man accused of a mass shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue has appeared in court for the first time in more than four years. Robert Bowers did so as the first phase of jury selection got underway. Prosecutors say Bowers killed 11 people in an attack on a synagogue in October of 2018. A new bipartisan bill will give the Commerce Secretary the power to ban TikTok. Virginia Senator Mark Warner is among those detailing the legislation on Capitol Hill. Before that, he told CNBC that he will enable the secretary to take action against tech companies in six foreign adversary nations, and that includes China's ByteDance, which owns the video app. Wall Street set to finish sharply lower after the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said interest rates will likely need to be raised higher than previously anticipated. The process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. The Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P 500 all down at least one and one quarter percent. From your Ravi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In the United States, since the mid-60s and the uh, shift in immigration law, We've seen the import of uh, many Eastern spiritualities, which were, well, they were still, they were present in the United States prior to this, but they weren't very mainstream. But beginning in the mid-60s, uh, various types of uh, altered forms of Hinduism, what we now call New Age thought, and some Buddhism began to become part of the American spiritual vocabulary. Uh my guest, Paul Williams, is a former professor of Indian and Tibetan philosophy at the University of Bristol. And uh, Great Britain has a very different uh, experience of uh, Eastern spiritualities than in the U.S. But Paul's a lay Dominican. He's the author of The Unexpected Way on Converting from Buddhism to Catholicism. But he's also, uh, because he was taught professionally uh, in the field of Buddhism for years, uh, has given us some outstanding texts on uh, Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, and uh, other the broader forms. Paul, it's good to have you with me. Thanks. It's good to be with you too, Al. Let, let's you. What? How were you raised, spiritually speaking? What were your parents uh, committed to ultimately? Well, I was brought up as an Anglican, um, and quite an involved Anglican, actually, which is not as, I mean, to be involved with the church when, uh, as a young person, is not, probably not as common in the UK as it is in the US. Okay. Anyway, I was brought up as an involved Anglican, and um, I was a choir boy from, um, well, from about the age of five or four or five, I think, until my uh, uh, mid-teens. So I was going to church pretty regularly as well, so... Yeah. Okay. And and did the did it did the faith strike you? Did you was it plausible to you at the time, or were you just conforming? Well, being a, being a Christian or being an Anglican, um, I don't know. Do we? Do any of us really remember when we were um, in our early years as part of the religion that we were a member of? Whether it seemed plausible or whether it was simply doing right. you know, what everyone else did. Um, I, I should say that actually among my friends, very few people were churchgoers. So I suppose there must have been a certain sort of um, plausibility, at least yeah. family plausibility, sure. in the, the, our family. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you've written that as the 60s wore on, you became involved in the, uh, sounds like the stereotypic, 
uh, 60s uh, lifestyle as culture was changing in the UK and in the United States as well. Uh, I lived through that myself, and so... <laughs> I suspect we're similar ages now. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> so you, um, you began to move away from Anglicanism, and yep. uh, you began studying philosophy. What was it that made you begin to... What, why did you cease identifying yourself within the Anglican tradition and the broad Christian tradition? What was bothering you about that? I, I dropped out of being a Christian. I should say I was born in 1950, so my, my teens coincided exactly with the 60s. Yeah. So towards the middle end of the 60s, I, I ceased really to find anything particularly attractive about Christianity. All the people around me, or all the people around me, were into transcendental meditation. Right. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and all that sort of thing. So on the one hand, spiritually, I got interested in meditation. Um, on the other hand, intellectually, uh, I, was, um, uh, I, took a, I, was, uh, I was very involved with philosophy, uh, Western philosophy, and I started, uh, I, I wanted to look at the development of philosophical ideas as they developed in cultures not influenced by the Greeks or by Christianity. Gotcha, okay. So that meant that I started looking towards Eastern philosophy. So that there were these two things going on at the same time, really, meditation and spirituality on the one hand, and uh, philosophy, Eastern philosophy on the other. And at that time, I didn't see them as being, in my own life, particularly linked. They were just two important things that were going on for me. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, at what point do you then bring the two together, uh, the, yeah. your intellectual uh, concerns, and also whatever aspect of yourself is involved yeah. in committed in meditation? Good question. Um, and I'm totally sure of the answer because it wasn't a sudden thing, it was a gradual thing. By my, um, let's say, hmm, early 20s, so I finished my first degree and I was doing my, my doctoral research, um, if people had asked me, I would have said, well, I'm more of a Buddhist than anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was partly because, actually, by that time, I knew more about Buddhism than any, <laughs> than any other religion, including Christianity. Um, but I didn't actually formally become a Buddhist until, I think I was 28, okay. quite late, quite late, relatively late. I'd been studying Buddhism academically for 10 years, uh, okay. at least 10 years, by the time I formally became a Buddhist. How, how do you become a Buddhist? Uh, well, it varies a lot from, from tradition to tradition. Buddhism is an immensely complex religion mm -hmm. um, with lots of different strands to it. And one of my academic uh, things over the years has to been, been to try and bring out how very complex Buddhism is. So it depends on the tradition. Okay. But the tradition I myself was involved with was one of the Tibetan Buddhist traditions known as the Gelukpa, which is the um, numerically dominant tradition within Tibetan Buddhism, the ones with the yellow hats, if okay. you like, uh, and the ones that are associated with the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was doing, I was on a weekend um, meditation retreat uh, because the, the retreat was connected with someone I'd worked on academically. And at the end of that weekend, uh, two or three of us asked the uh, Tibetan teacher there, uh, the Geshe, if he would allow us to formally become Buddhist, and it involved formally in a ceremony uh, doing what's called a taking the refuge um, ceremony, taking refuge in the Buddha 
uh, his teachings and the community of those who follow him as being one's final um, um, spiritual path, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were 28 when that happened? Yeah, I, was, I, I, I think it was 78, so I must have been 28, okay. um, thereabouts. I'm just curious, do, do some of the most vivid images of the 1960s uh, in the United States, anyways, were pictures of Buddhist monks who had uh, immolated themselves in protest of the, the violence. Yeah. W what tradition were they part of? That, that was part of Vietnamese Buddhism. The Vietnamese, um, okay. And the, the particular monks there were, were um, engaging in political protests within Vietnam. And as you remember, all things were going on in Vietnam <laughs> in the 60s. Um, and um, therefore, they were, they were from a very different tradition. Vietnamese Buddhism, there are various traditions within it, but quite a number. I don't happen to know about the actual traditions of, of those monks, but a number of the Vietnamese traditions form a, um, practice a form of Zen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Which is different. <laughs> yes. Did you? What did you think of Christianity at that point? Yeah. Uh, again, an excellent question. Um, and I, I two ties to this. I always retained great affection for Christianity. Um, so on the one hand, I had nothing but good memories of my, my upbringing okay. as a Christian and going to church. And particularly, I loved, and still do love, wonderful Gothic, um, echoing Gothic churches. As you know, we've got a lot of them over here. Mm -hmm. And wonderful Gothic uh, cathedrals. So that was on the one hand. On the other hand, as a Buddhist, uh, and certainly as a Western Buddhist, but as a Buddhist anyway, I had... Um, not much respect for Christians intellectually. Uh, great respect for Christians in moral terms. Uh, Buddhists tend to think that Christians are super at being good to people, mm. at being kind, at okay. being nice. Uh, but intellectually, in other words, philosophically, what we might call theologically, if you like, mm -hmm. um, in terms of an understanding of the, the true nature of things, how things really are, uh, Buddhists tend to think that Christians are really way down the scale okay. uh, and are very naive and um, accept all kinds of things that can't be supported intellectually. And I certainly inherited that. Uh, and the other thing I should add is that as a Buddhist, and over the years, I was a Buddhist for many years, uh, and I was also very involved as a Buddhist in Christian Buddhist dialogue, in Christian Buddhist dialogue as a Buddhist, um, uh, deep down, I always expected or hoped to better convert uh, Christians to Buddhism. And I expected to be able to do that by showing them just how much rational, rational Buddhism was in Christianity. And so, does a Buddhist, uh, trying to make Buddhism appeal to the West, have yeah. less to defend than Christians do? I mean, I'm sorry, why does Buddhism appeal to the West? Well, um, for, can you just say the, the rest? Yes. Again? I missed the um, end of it. The, the line keeps cutting out and coming back again. And <laughs> sure. Christians are often in the position of defending God because of the yeah. problem of evil. Does a yeah. Buddhist have the same problem? Um, not at all. Certainly not the problem of God and evil. Yes, thank you for that question, because it does get to the, the, the nub of, uh, of a lot of what's going on here. Um, it, 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 needless to say, it's a very complex matter, this. 
But um, you just have to take it from me that there's virtually no Buddhist tradition, virtually no, I mean virtually, virtually, absolutely, almost entirely no Buddhist tradition, except uh, anything like the existence of a creator God. Um, the idea that God uh, exists and is the ultimate source of the existence of everything else and therefore is a creator, and at the same time that God is, um, can be um, uh, thought about or expressed using language which involves um, person-type language, I, I'm uh, carefully phrasing that, uh, you, you virtually never find in Buddhism. The Buddhist view is that things have always existed. The, 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 the continuum goes back to all eternity. Um, so there's no need for anything to start things off, and that things are sufficient explanations in their own right. So in that sense, there's absolutely no problem in Buddhism of how you explain why it is that a good creator created a world which has evil in it. Mm -hmm. However... There certainly is a different approach to the problem of why there is evil in the world um, or why there is a wrongdoing in the world in Buddhism. And the answer in Buddhism universally is due to uh, ignorance, due to our failure to understand the way things really are. In other words, uh, unpleasant things happen to us, each one of us because we don't properly understand reality. Okay. Uh, and of course, the corollary of that, what follows from that, is that we have to come to understand reality, and that's where meditation fits in, in Buddhism. So, no need for a god from a Buddhist point of view, okay. uh, and, but, but there is a Buddhist explanation as to why there is things that are, are, um, are not... Very good. Paul, we'll be right back and continue the conversation. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. 85% of kids raised in Catholic homes leave the church as adults. But similar research shows that there's hope. Help your kids cherish their Catholic faith in a new free webinar sponsored by Ave Maria Radio. Against the Odds, the keys to raising faithful Catholic kids. It's Wednesday, February 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, it's free at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. 
It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved west. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. It's important for kids to have chores so they can learn how to contribute to a healthy, happy, peaceful household. But does your family make a little time every day to work together? Working together as a family gives parents an opportunity to model healthy attitudes toward work and stewardship and learn the basics of responsibility. Doing dishes together, cleaning up the family room together each evening, folding laundry together are just a few examples. But whatever the actual task, the important thing is that family work rituals help a family learn to be a strong team. That's one reason family rituals for working together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit catholiccounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit catholiccounselors.com. Four in five college students said they are concerned for their safety while on campus. Did you know once your child turns 18, you're no longer legally recognized by hospitals to make critical care decisions? Without the proper protective documents, you may even be denied access to your child's information. With My Life Angels, you'll be instantly alerted if they enter an ER with everything you need to ensure they get life-affirming care. MyLifeAngels.com. Use Ave 20 and get 20% off your subscription. Crested in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Paul Williams, who uh, for many years taught Indian and Tibetan philosophy at the University of Bristol, was a practicing uh, Buddhist, uh, and he has also written uh, academic volumes on various forms of Buddhism. He uh, has written also a, his own story in a book called The Unexpected Way on converting from Buddhism to Catholicism, and we're talking about his uh, changes, uh, spiritual changes over his life. We were talking about how the Buddhist doesn't have to defend the existence of God or deal with the problem of evil in the same way that uh, Christians do, um, and that at the same time, suffering is central to a Buddhist understanding of life, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Buddhism starts from... Uh, existence of suffering. That is, that, uh, uh, although I mean, there are translation problems about whether the word is best translated suffering. But let's let's stick with suffering. Okay. Anyway. Is the starting point of Buddhism is suffering exists. Yeah. How? What do we do about it? Do Buddhists distinguish between a problem of evil and a problem of suffering, or are they the same? Uh, no. No, <laughs> no, uh, and and that's uh, no, I mean that's uh, uh, worth remembering. Uh, evil, and exactly what do we mean by evil anyway? But certainly, evil in Christian theology is bound up with the idea of things which are radically out of keeping with God's plan for reality, uh, God's plan for His creation. There's nothing like that in Buddhism. No. So suffering, uh, the the, the uh, Sanskrit, Pali Sanskrit word is dukkha 
which really covers quite a range of meanings, but um, suffering is what Buddhism is about. It's how to bring about um, the end of the, uh, the, the anguish, the sufferings, the different sufferings, physical sufferings, mental sufferings, that I, and people like me, um, undergo. That's what Buddhism is about. Okay. And to that extent, Buddhism is all about mental training. It's all about transforming the mind from a mind that sees things wrongly the mind that sees things correctly, and when it sees things correctly, it brings to an end the forces that lead to uh, to my my suffering. Uh, is this uh, considered enlightenment? Uh, yes, uh, yes. Although, <laughs> again, um, there are different concepts of enlightenment within Buddhism, but mm-hmm. that would be common to all concepts of enlightenment. In other words, enlightenment is seeing things the way they really are, and hence bringing to an end the forces that lead to one's one's suffering. So the, the problem of suffering in Buddhism is, is solved by a knowledge, by a right understanding, yeah. rather than... By, by mental transformation. Mental transformation. In a very deep way. In a very deep way. Um, when Buddhists talk about seeing things where they really are, they don't just mean something intellectual. Right. They don't right. mean sort of reading a book. This, is, this, is, this has to be done at a very, very deep level in, in one's psyche. So one, does one undergo a type of transformation then? Um, a type of transformation of, of, of the mind. Okay. A type of transformation of the mind. Yes, I suppose that would be right. I mean, transformation is a... Um, in, the, in the sense of transformation meaning becoming what you weren't before, it's, I, I'm not sure, but transformation of the mind from a mind that sees wrongly to a mind that sees, sees correctly, yeah. Um, the, the problem of evil in Christianity, which accounts for suffering, um, is a result of moral disobedience, at least in the story of the, uh, the fall. And yeah. what role does moral disobedience play in the Buddhist understanding, in the Buddhist explanation for suffering? Oh, um... Hmm... <laughs> Uh, well, in, in one major sense, none whatsoever, okay. because um, moral disobedience, understood in the Christian sense, is disobedience um, to God's, God's plan, because of, in fact, disobedience, a failure to trust in God. Uh, I mean, that's really what's going on in, 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 uh, in, in the beginning of the Bible, I mean, complete failure to trust that God right. cares for us, loves, loves us, and so on. That's not there in Buddhism. Is there any devotional tradition within Buddhism, like within various... Types of yeah. Hinduism, you've got bhakti yoga, you know, and, yeah. and uh, is there anything like that in, in Buddhism? Yes, there is. Uh, if you go across the entire Buddhist world, there is um, devotion in the sense of enormous respect given to the Buddha and to other figures, uh, uh, respect which across the Buddhist world um, um, veers very closely to uh, theistic types of devotion. And also, in some traditions, including traditions like my own Tibetan tradition, enormous devotion given to one's, one's teacher, one's guru. Ah. And that also you find in Hinduism as well. So yes, you certainly find it. But um, one needs to look much, much more closely, and indeed talk with Buddhists, uh, to find out whether they would really consider that what they're doing is on um, is even analogous to, and certainly not identical to, or likely to be identical to what Christians are doing when we talk about the love of God. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, when did you begin to sense that the Buddhism that you were practicing wasn't dealing with reality uh, as it should? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, of course, the, the, the crucial point. Um, first of all, I was a Buddhist for over 20 years. 
Okay. Uh, and I taught not Buddhism not just in the university, but I actually taught as a Buddhist teacher. I taught at Buddhist centers, wow. uh, meditation courses. So I was very involved. Um, after uh, about, well, after getting on for 20 years, some aspects of Buddhism really worried me, and I, I need to deal with this quite briefly, but I'll, I'll tell you what they were. Um, the thing that particularly worried me was that stuff to do with reincarnation. You've not mentioned reincarnation, and it's a very complex concept in Buddhism, but um, I began to have some severe worries about, the, about any idea of reincarnation. All traditional Buddhists believe in reincarnation. Um, my problems were around the idea that if reincarnation is true, and I have another life after this one, um, which is another body, I'm reborn as another creature, um, then clearly it won't be me. There, there won't right. be the same person anymore. There's no persistent fact, self. Just, um, that's true too, but more importantly, it won't be the same person, because the person I am is totally bound up with my body, with my relationships, mm. with my, my country, if you like, yeah. with my family. Okay. Uh, I, am, I am this person. And if I were to die and be reborn as, um, but in fact, within Buddhism, you could be reborn as a cockroach in South America, for example. Hmm. You could be reborn as any creature that is alive, that is sentient. Clearly, if I were reborn as, a, as another person in Bristol, where I live, let alone as a, as, a, as a cockroach in South America, it wouldn't be me. It couldn't possibly be me. How, how can you learn, then, uh, and move towards enlightenment if... Uh, you've hit on some very difficult questions. Yes, indeed. Um, if reincarnation is true, and we've all had, from a Buddhist point of view, we've all had infinite series of reincarnations already, mm -hmm. then it makes no sense to talk about one person moving on to enlightenment. Right. Enlightenment may happen at some point to someone, and it may indeed be someone in, a, in what we might call a continuum within which I have been a part, but it won't be me. Right. And right. what happened to me when I started thinking this way, um, to cut a very long story short, was that I started to realize that unless I became enlightened in this life, in this life, I would have no hope. Wow. Death would be the end of me. Wow. And um, I began to realize, I mean, no serious really thinks that they are going to become enlightened in this life. It's, uh, and no traditional serious Buddhist anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, I began to realize that Buddhism was, in a literal sense of the word, hopeless for me. Uh, and I, uh, it dawned on me that my Christian friends had hope. And so I started, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, my Christian friends have got hope. If only I could have that hope. But, of course, I can't because Christianity is absurd. And I thought to myself, is it absurd? Have I really thought this one through? And so I went back and I started again from the beginnings, and I really started looking some major areas of Christianity to see whether I could finally say, no, I can't accept her, wow. or whether actually it was calling me back. And those major areas were, and it's important this, because I focused on just a few areas. Did I believe in God? Could I believe in God? Mm -hmm. um, the resurrection, mm -hmm. could I believe the resurrection literally happened? And then um, what tradition of Christianity? Why, why, which, which of the traditions yeah. of Christianity? Yeah. And so that, that's how it went. And so my first stage is, yes, I, I came to believe God existed. That meant I couldn't be a Buddhist anymore. Next thing was, um, yes, I came to think the, the resurrection literally happened in the, in the absolutely literal traditional sense of the word. That meant that I ought to, I thought I ought to become a Christian. Uh, it doesn't necessarily completely follow, but I thought it meant I ought to become a Christian. What Christian? Sure. And the, the last, and this is all in my, the book I wrote, the last part of this really is, how did I become a Catholic? 
Wow. That's the one where a lot of my friends start to disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I understand that. I, I uh, became a Catholic when I was in my 40s. So uh, right. the number of my friends regarded me with respectful perplexity, I think. One <laughs> <laughs> of my, my, my great Buddhist friends said that he, he respected what I, I was doing, but he found it utterly incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you become convinced that God exists. How did mm. that happen? How, what, was there yeah. an argument? Was there a, an encounter? Uh, yeah. what, what, what happened? People sometimes ask me, you know, did I have some great mystical experience? Well, absolutely not. I'm not, a, I'm not although I would like to be, I'm not really the mystical sort. Okay. No, but I am a very, um, I try to be a very rational person. Uh, and um, I started looking at some very good arguments for the existence of God, particularly Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. who is now, of course, I'm a Dominican, so he's one of my uh, saints. By the way, um, I'm, I'm a lay I'm Dominican, a... too, by the way, I should tell you. Oh, yeah, so you are a lay Dominican. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, brother. So <laughs> 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 um, I, and I was lucky at that time at the University of Bristol, because one of my colleagues at Bristol was uh, Herbert McCabe, who's a very Oh, yes, known, yes. Um, uh, Dominican theologian and Thomas, a very influential one. Um, and so I started looking at, uh, at Aquinas, I started looking at arguments of the existence of God, and particularly through the eyes of Herbert McCabe. And once one starts to understand God as the answer to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Yes, um, yes. In other words, you know, <laughs> all these things exist. Why, why does anything exist? Not just what started it all, but why is there anything rather than nothingness? It could be. Mm-hmm. Um, that became the inroad for me to the idea of God making sense. Um, and at that time, when I converted, that's what I came to with God. In other words, I found I could believe in God. But I, I, I would now add that I think, you know, it is, it, I have a much stronger sense of a relationship with God than I did at that time. But then, so I should, after nearly 20 years now of being, <laughs> being a Catholic. <laughs> but, so I came to believe in God. So I couldn't be a Buddhist anymore. Right, right. Um, and, and, and it's as simple as that. But of course, as I said, the next thing is, okay, I believe in God. It, that doesn't make me a Christian. I mean, it could have made me a Muslim or, or Jewish, um, or indeed any one of a number of other things. Why did I become a, a Christian? The answer is the resurrection. I really looked at this, and I thought, gracious me, this is an astonishing thing. Yeah. It's true, and it looks like, using all my critical abilities, right. on the balance of, of looking at it, it looks as if the real occurrence of the resurrection is the best explanation for what happened. Very good. My guest, uh, Paul Williams, is describing his uh, spiritual journey uh, from Anglicanism as a boy and young man to 20 years as a a Buddhist. Uh, He also academically taught uh, Indian and Tibetan Buddhism. He published a number of important texts, but eventually found his way to the Catholic Church, and that's what we're taking a look now. We'll come back and continue. You are invited as Bishop Earl Boyer presides over the 25th Annual Rose Mass for Healthcare Workers, Saturday, March 18th at 4.30 at Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Afterwards, there will be a dinner and discussion on the relationship between Catholic medicine, the media, and the impact on patients. Featuring Ave Maria Radio's Al Cresta and Father Peter Ryan. This takes place at Fox Hills Country Club near Plymouth. Go to cmalansing at gmail.com to purchase tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. The National Eucharistic Congress is teaming up with Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance to bring you a free online Linton event for men. 
Join Dr. Edward Street, Bishop Andrew Cousins, and John Michael Lucido. Hello, I'm Bishop Andrew Cousins, and I'm delighted to invite you to join me March 11th from 11 to 1 Central. We're going to talk about the Eucharist and what a difference it makes to learn to live a Eucharistic life in Lent. Sign up for the Heroic Men Summit at HeroicMen.com. Not all sin is equal. Sins can, says the Catholic Catechism, be distinguished in gravity according to their objects, to the virtues they oppose or the commandments they violate. The root of sin lies within man's heart, Jesus declared, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These, said the Lord, are what defile a man. On the other hand, charity, the source of all good works, also resides in the heart. The gravest of sin, mortal sin, destroys charity in man's heart by a serious violation of God's law. Mortal sin requires three conditions, grave matter, full knowledge of that gravity, and complete consent of the will. Because mortal sin turns man away from God by preferring an inferior good to God, it should be brought to confession. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. And now, a Meditation Minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Hannah, a senior, and here's my reflection on Matthew 23, verses 23 through 26. The Pharisees, who were supposed to be the holy ones leading others to God, let their power and recognition go to their heads. They believed themselves better than everyone else, which led to them leading themselves and others away from God instead. The only way to truly bring others to God is to humble yourself and let God work through you. As Jesus says, cleanse first the inside of the cup so that the outside may also be clean. We are no help to anyone if we ourselves are not holy first. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate example of this. He practices what he preaches in laying down his life for the sins of each of us. We must strive to always follow this example and submit ourselves fully to God's will. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from anxiety. Feast on trust. Fast from discouragement. Feast on hope. Fast from acts that tear down. Feast on acts that build up. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Paul Williams, former professor of Indian and Tibetan philosophy at the University of Bristol. He's a lay Dominican. His story is told in a book called The Unexpected Way on converting from Buddhism to Catholicism. He also has published uh, serious volumes uh, on Mahayana Buddhism and uh, other the broad Buddhist tradition. We were talking about his uh, coming to believe that God exists. Uh, 
the his is in Buddhism he began to think of the problem of rebirth, uh, which eventually, because there was no uh, ongoing person, left him without hope. He noticed that Christians had a hope, and he began pursuing what that hope might be grounded in, came to believe in the existence of God, then the resurrection of Jesus, and then eventually uh, the Catholic faith. I want to come back to this question of the existence of God, if you would, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, uh, Herbert McCabe was an important teacher for you there. Um, did you, how did you deal then with the problem of evil, which is usually brought up as yeah. the chief obstacle to authentic yeah. uh, Christian belief? Yeah. Well, of course, that, that was a major one for me. In, in, in my own story, actually, the problem of evil was a major one. And... Um, uh, I, I require more time than we've got here. Sure. Um, what I have to say, I suppose, with the problem of evil is this. Um, the question of evil is a question of whether there is some sort of incompatibility between the existence of a good God and the existence of evil. Right. Now, um, it, 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 I can understand that people might say they think there isn't a good God because evil is there. But for those people who already believe in God, evil need be no insurmountable object. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and the reason for that is because there's no logical incompatibility right. between a good God and evil. Yeah, strictly so speaking, the there's no is, logical Are there reasons to believe in God? Put to one side the issue of evil. Are there reasons to believe in God? I came to the idea that there are, and therefore that it is rational to believe in God. Then I had to return to the problem of evil gotcha. and say, well, if God exists, then how come evil? Uh, is there an incompatibility there? And there isn't an incompatibility between the existence of God and the existence of evil. Um, it doesn't follow that if there's evil, there therefore is, isn't a good God. Right. So uh, it, it ceased to be a problem for me. I mean, that puts in a nutshell, but I sure. have much more time to explain. No, it. I, I get that. I, I, I can see how that, uh, how that moves. Uh, then's the resurrection. Mm. When you began to look at the narratives of the resurrection... Uh, they struck you as believable accounts of uh, witnesses. Is that the way um, you would have, How did you go well, about it? Uh, it would be more complicated than that. Sure. I mean, as, as, reading, as reading those accounts, they strike one as being pretty extraordinary, the biblical accounts. They do. Uh, I think what one has to do is to start to look very, very closely at the possibility of alternative explanations for what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I d- didn't find alternative explanations convincing. <laughs> On the other hand, I did find convincing the idea that here we had a group of very dispirited people um, uh, from, from Galilee who would be, have been expected to have given up and gone home and, and hidden, who became so convinced that resurrection had occurred that they were willing to die for it. Yeah. Uh, and that transformation, uh, of course, you know, along with a lot of other stuff, I found just so astonishing. And I think that even these, the critical scholars who don't accept the resurrection agree that the disciples um, certainly considered that they'd seen Jesus right. alive. That's right. uh, and I simply do not find alternative explanations for what was going on there uh, convincing. But I have, hasten to add, this is not my specialist area at all. So 
I simply looked at what there was, and I looked at some of the very good books that are now available, um, one by, I think it's Gary Habermas, anyway, yeah. which uh, yes, is an evangelical writer who's gone through every single possible explanation of what happened. Yes. Uh, I read books like that. I read Tom Wright's work, yeah. biblical work. Resurrection of the Son of God. so mm-hmm. convincing. I agree. Uh, that I, I, I just had to say, look, you know, I mean, it's astonishing. We all agree it's absolutely astonishing. But hey, you know, <laughs> throughout all of this, I was willing to, to, to follow what seemed to me to be most rational. And it, I want to argue that it's more rational to accept the resurrection as literally occurring than not to. Right. As simple as that, I, in that sense. I, I, I thoroughly agree. I mean, I, I, my experience uh, back in... Uh, early 1970s, I, when I realized that there were, there were people could com- make an argument on behalf of the resurrection, I began to do the, I did the same thing. I said, well, what, wait, something happened. There. I don't know what it was, but clearly yeah. something happened there. I, uh, were they self-deceived? Did they, what, did they play around with the body? What did, and you go through the list of possible explanations, and none of them make as much sense as the straightforward explanation that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and that yeah, tomb, and the tomb was empty. <laughs> so. Abs- absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. The tomb was certainly empty. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you then got to look at alternatives. I mean, did the disciples steal the body? Um, but then they wouldn't have died for it. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, um, did he simply vanish? <laughs> um, I mean, the alternatives aren't anywhere nearly as plausible. It's, right. it's really... Um, but what I urge people, what I urge listeners to do, if they're if they're doubtful about this, or indeed even if they anyway believe in the resurrection, go to some of these books and really look at it, really think it through, because it's really quite um, um, enhancing, even as a Christian, yes. to go over these arguments again. Now, let's uh, to the third step here, and that is identification with the Catholic faith, the Catholic yeah. Church, the, the idea of belonging. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, how did that uh, how did that strike you? How how did that move forward? Why didn't you just return back yeah. to Anglicanism? Yeah, good question. Um, well, uh, again, the, the funny thing is that when people read my book and when I talk to people about my story, um, people tend to agree with me at various points, and then they part company with me. So, for example, Buddhists part company with me in part one. They don't agree that there's a God. And then um, some people part company with me because they don't believe in the resurrection, including some Christians, incidentally, which I find very bizarre. What's interesting is the people part company with me in the last part, which is why I become a Catholic, because several of my Catholic friends <laughs> part company with that. What I, what I argue in the book is that the Catholic Church is the default position in Christianity. It certainly was for me, anyway, as a, as a, as a Western European. In other words, and what follows from that is that I needed good arguments not to become a Catholic. Not to become a Catholic. Not to become a Catholic. Right. So I invited people to give me arguments not to be a Catholic. What I said was, look, I'm going to become a Christian. Uh, It seems to me it makes most sense to be a Catholic, because that's what our culture is in a way. Right. Um, that's what I'm surrounded in this country with, with ruins of, of, of medieval Catholic churches and so on. It's part of my blood, if you like. Now, okay, that's the default. Tell me why I shouldn't become a Catholic. And theologically, what follows from that is, tell me why you think the Holy Spirit simply has left the Catholic Church. It simply is not there in the Catholic Church. Because if the Holy Spirit is still there in the Catholic Church, I'm going to become a Catholic. <laughs> so... Um, Various people then came up with me, came up with various arguments. So, for example, there's the argument of papal primacy, there is the argument of, um, 
abortion, there was the argument of contraception, there was the argument to do with authority. Um, my, my daughter said that she thought Buddhism was much better than any form of Christianity because my daughter said it gave our cats a chance through reincarnation. <laughs> uh, so I have a whole section of my book on can our cat be saved? Our cat's called Wensleydale, by the way, which is the name of a British cheese. <laughs> okay. uh, so it's can Wensleydale be saved? Um, and so what I do in, in the last part is I look at various arguments um, against being a Catholic. And what I conclude is that none of the arguments seems to me to be a knockdown argument that convinces me the Holy Spirit is not in the Catholic Church. Right. Some of the arguments against the Catholic Church actually convince me, make me more likely to become yep. Catholic. Yep. Um, and finally, finally, I then said, look, we now have to imagine we've got a gun to our head. Um, yes or no? Um, it's as simple as that. Yes or no? And I couldn't say no. I had to say yes. Amen. Okay. And actually, I do draw um, the parallel there with um, some of the people you've had in the States where people have put guns to their heads and asked them if they believe in God, and they've said yes, and they've, they've, they've been shot. Mm -hmm. um, I do say, we, each of us, I think each of us has to imagine that we're in that situation. We've got a gun to our head, yes or no. Yes, yeah. So I said yes. Yes. And I've never regretted it, I should add. Yeah. Well, no, that's, uh, that's good to know. That's actually good to know, too, because uh, you sometimes wonder. You had so much invested in, in Buddhism, and you knew it intimately, um, and then you become a Christian for 20 years. Do you end up saying to yourself, oh, well, I have as many problems here as I had within the Buddhist tradition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, in, a, in a way, I know where I'm going now. I remember when I was doing the RCIA, I remember one of the people there saying she knew where she was going. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, 20 years as a Buddhist, and I had no idea where I was going. <laughs> um, and, I, and I should say, when I, when I first converted, several of my, my friends, my Catholic friends, said to me, the honeymoon phase is soon over. And so I take great delight in saying the honeymoon is still on. I'm more in love with the church now than when I joined it. Praise God. Um, 20 years ago, <laughs> nearly 20 years ago. I, I just, you know, warts and all. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I love it. Well, I, I noticed in uh, some... In some article I read, you mentioned that you had had private conversations with Hans Kung and Raimundo Panikkar. Yeah. And I'm curious, yeah. I mean, Kung is known as a, uh, well, he's a pro prolific writer. and uh, But his approach to the faith um, is different than historic Catholic orthodoxy. Mm. Was his was conversation with Kung helpful to you? In uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, well, first of all, I, my, I dialogued with Kung publicly, okay. uh, and that was a time when I was still a Buddhist. Yes, that's what I was, I was wondering. I was dialoguing with him, and I, I was dialoguing as a Buddhist. Yeah. And the, 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 it was a conference around his book, Christianity in the World of Religions. Yes. And they invited members of other religions to dialogue with Kung about the relevant chapter. So I, I dialogued with Kung about his portrayal of Buddhism in Christianity in the World of Religions, and I vehemently disagreed with him. And we did not get on at all. I see. Um, and so as a Buddhist, I didn't, he and I certainly didn't see eye to eye. And I have to say that um, while I'm sure he's a delightful man, well, I'm not that sure, but um, I believe he probably is, um, uh, uh, I continue not seeing eye to eye with him. Yes, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, as a Catholic, let's, yeah. let's put it that way. And, and, um, and yeah, how that about, was a long time ago. How though. about Raimundo Panikkar? I thought he was delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was, it was after my meeting with Kung. Um, Raimundo Panikkar, I dialogued with 
again publicly. Again, we very much disagreed. But unlike Kung, I found Hanukkah a, an absolutely delightful person to meet and okay. to get to know. Uh, well, I get to know in, in, in that context. He's sure. a sweet man. Sure. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then there's a statement in, uh, in uh, John Paul II's book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, which goes something like this. Uh, and he's talking about the Buddha, and he says that um, car- something like Carmelite mysticism begins with the meditations of the Buddha end. Do you are you familiar with that for that sentence? Um, I, I have read I've read that section of the book a long time ago, but you could just say that again. Carmelite mysticism begins where where the meditation of the Buddha ends. Yeah, something like um, that. And I was I, I go ahead. Well, as I said, I I. I I think I like that, mm-hmm. although it would require an awful lot of unpacking, and I suspect each individual person would unpack it in, in, in their own way. In the sense that, let, let me give you a, a reading on it, in the sense that when, you've, when all is said and done in terms of Buddhist, of, of let's say mainstream Buddhist meditation, because there's so many different types of Buddhist meditation, when all is said and done, we still haven't yet um, come very far in the really important thing, which is our relationship with God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Carmelite mysticism is about that. I should say, even though I'm a Dominican, I've just returned from the pilgrimage to Spain to the Carmelite site <laughs> John of the Cross. Very good. And- Paul, we're out of time, unfortunately, but great conversation. Uh, love to talk with you again in the future. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you very much. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our healthcare and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry, providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Like most people, funerals are tough, but even more so when you're attending one for a child. What do you say to the parents? When you're part of a big community like I am, there are several funerals a year. I'm sorry for your loss is what I usually utter along with a hug. I lost my dad several years ago. I don't remember what people said to me. I just remember people being there. And I think that's the most important thing, to be there for friends and family when they're suffering a loss. When it comes to a parent who buried a child, the pain for everyone is that much greater. I really don't know how to console parents or even if being consoled is possible. When I attend funerals of a child, I often think of Mother Mary and ask her to pray for this family and to give the parents some kind of peace. It's really the only thing that seems the right thing to do. I mean, who better than our Heavenly Mother? Who better can relate to that kind of suffering? This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net.
Thanks for being with us over that hour. Go to AveMariaRadio.net to follow up on all of today's conversations. We'll have uh, the books, and we'll have Carrie Gress's books there, and as well as her website. You can check out her book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, and her ongoing project with Noel Marion on the theology of home. And we'll also have uh, Paul Williams' book there, uh, Unexpected Way on Converting from Buddhism to Catholicism. As we go off the air, Catholic Answers Live is ready to take your calls. We'll have more to talk about tomorrow, including talking with Alicia Hernan her, about her work she's doing with families. And final reminder, there's still time. You can, if you haven't signed up, you can still show up at 7.30 tonight. Not 7, 7.30 tonight at Father Gabriel Richard High School for Noel Marion's talk, Await Not Walk. We'd love to see you there. We'll see the rest of you tomorrow on another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. Have a great night, and God bless. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.